everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about them the PNWA, that is, at uh, pnwa.org. So I had a lovely guest on. actually had her back, Amy Tector. She was on a year ago, and she's back again. Got a new, well, she's got a couple new books out. Interesting story about why she, essentially a debut novelist, has had three novels published in one year. It'll be one year next year. That was very, and why that is... See, that was, well, we talked about a lot of cool things, but she described that. It's a very unusual process, and we got into that. We got into her unusual life as an archivist, someone who's an archiver, and, oh, a bunch of other things. Amy's a lot of fun to talk to. She uh, spent 20 or more than 20 years, actually, as I mentioned, uh, plumbing the secret, squirreled away in archives, whether it was uncovering a whale's ear, it's a true story, in a box of old photographs, or working in The Hague for the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for War Crimes in the former Yugoslavia. Uh, she, her debut novel, The Honey Bee Emeralds, was published in the spring of 2022, so last year, and then her Dominion Archives mystery series Chronicler Murder and Mayhem in the Archives. The foulest thing is the first in the series, and Speak for the Dead will be out this March. So, yeah, she's got a lot of books out. Pretty cool. And we talked all about it, and I'm glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. All right. Amy Tector. Tector is back on the show. How are you doing? I'm great, Bill. Thanks for having me. Well, it's good to have you on. You're, this is, look at you, you little achievement bunny. It's book number three. I was just enjoying something the rest of you can't enjoy. Her third book, Speak for the Dead. Uh, but your second book came out in, we were just saying, September, October? Foulest September, thing. Yeah. yeah. So how's it going? You, I interview you, interviewed you when you just released your first book. It came from That's an right. unusual, well, I mean, how many of you are there on the planet? How many archivists are there? If there was an archivist convention, where would it have, how, how, how big or small a space would could hold that? <laughs> I, you know what? There there are a number of us, and yeah. I weirdly live. I'm married to an archivist. I uh, met what? A what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my very good friends are archivists, and I weirdly live in a neighborhood where there are a lot of uh, my colleagues also live in this neighborhood. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I was walking with my daughter. And we bumped into someone who was walking their dog and we, it was a neighbor and we had a big long chat. And then as we were walking away, Violet was like, who was that? And I said, oh, she works at the archives. And Violet said, another one. She was ah! <laughs> Your daughter has a very skewed view of yes. the world. She thinks they are just all over the place, like, like yeah. hockey fans. So with two archive, I call them archivists because maybe because I'm American, but archivist. Archivist, you said? Is that archivist? Archivist. All right, I want to do it. I want to do it right. Yeah, archivist. When two, archivist. when a bunch of archivists get together, what do uh -huh. they talk about? Like what comes up? Well, 
you know, books, they're big readers and yeah. history. And, uh, you know, we're not talking paper cuts and file folders. We're talking the thing, the politics, all the, all the regular things. Well, cause the only reason I mentioned is cause we're both writers and when writers get together, I mean, we talk about other things, but we talk about, eventually we talk about writing in part because, and why I love doing this show is because if you haven't done it, it's sometimes hard to understand exactly what happens when you sit there alone in front of yeah. a page, right? And the yeah. kind of mystery of it. And so it's very nice to talk to people who have gone through the experience in a certain way. And I'm sure you've you've now, now that you are number of books in, you've probably had that experience yourself, gathering with other writers. Have you done conventions and that kind of thing? Yeah, a little bit. And I and bit. it is it is great to talk about writing and the craft. I find we also I also end up talking about the business of it. Ah, boo. I know that's it's true. It's, it's funny. There's a book called A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway. This is one nonfiction kind of piece where he talks about sitting with F. Scott Fitzgerald. And he's like, all he wanted to talk about was agents and money. And yeah. so, so as far back as it is, it's always going. Okay. Actually, I actually I, I talked to Richard Bach, who was in the room with with um Truman Capote and um Kurt Vonnegut and one other person. He said all they talked about was the business. It drove him crazy. He thought, here we have a chance to anyway. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So hey, listen, first of all, I want to say I, I like I said, I was enjoying um Speak for the Dead and take this the right way i feel like i just noticed you're getting stronger and stronger as a writer i don't mean to say that the first book which is where i was introduced to you was weak it wasn't but some i don't know i just feel there's a a, a growth happening that i can see what do you feel that way how do you feel about yourself as a storyteller yeah I, I do feel that way i feel like i'm uh i'm more concise and trying to be more precise yeah yeah. Yeah. But well, it's concise. See, if I had to give one piece of craft, I don't do a lot of craft stuff. I do other kind of taught, you know, teaching, but if I, it would be, how can you say the most and the least, yeah. not that everybody should have these tiny little sentences, but you want to do the most with the least amount of space, least yeah. amount of words. Right. And that's something I keep learning about and learning about. Yeah. <laughs> there's apparently an emergency nearby okay they're passing uh does that make sense yeah it does I, i've now like now when i do my very final edit before i send the manuscript in my, it's my favorite edit because that's the one oh. of, like hunting for the 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 vats and the right. you know just just that extra wordiness i find it so satisfying to trim that out and make the like make the prose more propulsive see people this is how you know you're getting you, you you you're. I don't like to use this word. It's going to say real writer, but I don't want to. I can't. I don't. I can't think of the term. But when you start enjoying that the the minutia of pulling out word, now you're onto something because you know you're cleaning it up. You just it feels like you're trimming away yes. all the fat. So all right. So the foulest thing. So you so you published the first book and it comes out and I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's come honeybee emeralds. Honey. Right. 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 Okay. So great. Nice experience. Very excited. So then, Fallish thing, how was that? How was publishing and sharing your second book compared to the first? Um, it was wonderful. It was it was maybe less exciting, right? Like right, it, right. it was felt a little bit more like well, a it was less scary because I I knew what to expect and how things were going to work, so I didn't feel nearly right. as unsure or uncertain. Um, 
But as well, it was a bit like, oh, here's another one, especially because it came out six months after the first one. So it wasn't, I, I felt almost bad to be dragging. How was it that it came, so to, walk me through that. So it came out six months after, because I did feel like, didn't we just talk? Yes, yeah, right. no, there's, I, there have been too many books. I, I no, never like, too many, but you must have had some, and tell me you had some backlog a little bit. Yeah, so it's interesting when you say that I'm a better writer because, um, Honey or Honeybee was I Honeybee was published in March of 2022. Okay. Then Foulest is the fall of 2022. And now Speak is coming out March 2023. Right. Um Honey, uh, I wrote Foulest first. Right. Then I wrote Speak for the Dead. And then I wrote Honey. Oh, all right. So I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I this? did a lot of editing. I did a lot of editing. So I'm still taking I it. hope so. I, I hope I noticed what, yeah. what I noticed was for real. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate that comment. Okay, so talk me through because yeah. that's unusual. First, because yeah. I because usually it's like you you publish a book, you're like, I'm not gonna deal with those old books because like I didn't know what I was doing yet, but I finally found so how talk me through all that. Yeah. Well, I've been writing for 20 years, trying to and trying yeah. to publish for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and Honeybee, I succeed. I, you know, found my wonderful publisher, Turner uh, Keylight, uh, based in Nashville. And they and they took a chance on Honeybee, which was fantastic. And then I said to them, I have these two other books. Do you want to see either of them? Um, maybe that I had written, you know, right. years earlier over the because because I always thought they were good books I right. like, I didn't have that feeling that cringe feel I've written things that I've then been like ooh that was terrible right but these two I thought they just didn't they never they never got a chance but were they, they the were, two books you wrote before Honeybee yeah okay so you were building up to something yeah okay so, okay so I sent along Foulist and Speak for the Dead thinking they'd pick you know they they might like one of them and they got back to me and said we actually like both of them wow we'll do both and i said great and they said and we'll publish them here now and they gave me those dates and i was like oh okay that wow that's great what a satisfying experience and good on you because obviously speak for the dead and foulest thing you'd done the thing you tried to find a publisher for it maybe tried to find an agent for had you had had those been agented nope no they i tried to find agents and and not okay so you'd done the shopping around and sometimes oh this is so interesting this is so interesting amy because sometimes that experience kind of sours our taste Mm -hmm. you know we start having a negative association just with the work whatever our experience writing it is but apparently that did not sour it enough. Yeah, I was definitely, you know, demoralized and depressed sure. when those rejections were roaring in. But I always thought, and maybe I've like just got a really healthy ego. I don't know. But I thought these aren't bad. And especially when I would read other books, I'd be like, you know what? Foulest things sitting in a shelf is just as good as, you know, this other book that I'm reading. And why, you know, it just didn't, it just didn't hit the right time. Like I always felt good about what I had you know that's I, I'm glad you said that I do think it's important for writers to do that you know in in a without ego but just recognize like this is of the same quality of the book as the book I'm reading it may not have found its place yet but to recognize that it's no real difference in that that you, good for you boy that is a that is a sturdy sturdy self 
opinion. I got to say that's <laughs> no, but it's good. It's healthy, right? Because uh, you well, were right. You were right. And also, doesn't it also speak to Amy the importance? See, I said I want to talk about the business, but this is, goes beyond business in my mind. In fact, speaking of Richard Bach, he was one who said to me, "You're not looking for a publisher. You're looking for a member of your intellectual family." And I thought that was a great way of yeah. thinking about it. And doesn't it speak to the importance of finding the right person who gets what you're doing and sees the value in it? Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yep. So they got your stuff. And because as soon as one person sees the value, now you have a chance to share it. And now you're giving, because I remember I did theater for a while when I was in my early 20s. And I wrote my own show and put it up, right? So I this, we did this sketch comedy. And the reason I liked doing it is I was started writing. I'd write my poems, my stories, and send them out and get my rejections, right? And part of me thought, I just want to bring my stuff to the people. I don't want the gate. I just want to, you can laugh or not and leave or what. And there's a sort, because there's a democracy in that, which draws people to self-publishing. But now people can just finally get a chance of finding out for themselves what your stuff is. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And so how's it been? So, all right. So what do you think? Just two books in? Do you feel like a writer yet? Do you feel like an author? Does it feel like make-believe or does it feel real? Yeah. No, I, I feel legitimate and it's terrible, but I like the, the, I always had the imposter syndrome and was like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. all, all the things until I got the validation from a publisher who said, yes, we'll publish it. And then suddenly I felt like a real writer and I know. It's frustrating, like, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like I know I, I it's, it's how it was, but it is now. And, yeah. and even, even sort of for the first sort of six months, you know, last year I was still like, oh, I'm not, I didn't get an MFA and I don't, I just wow. writing these little stories, but now I've <laughs> now done it now and hadn't had all these books out. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. It's so sure. funny. Sure. The MFA thing. So I, I didn't even graduate college. I dropped out after a couple of years. And so I, the, and I knew MFAs existed, but I was like, but I think they were still sort of an up and coming thing in the eighties when I could have, I mean, they were still happening, but they weren't as, you know, yeah, everywhere they are as they are now. But um, I think because you have an academic background, being an archivist, you must might have an unnatural opinion of the MFA and its value. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not valuable, but I don't know. I don't. Know. Well, I don't have one, so and I. Have I don't know. Video, Come so. on, you just write. <laughs> so um, exactly, but just write. You but the story told about the value is so interesting because when you when you got that publishing contract and you kind of so you got the external validation. Were you aware on some level, because you're not a kid, right? You've you've been alive and done things and as a grown-up and had to leave a grown-up. Like, I could have given myself this at any time. Like, I didn't need to wait for them. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. You feel yes. that weight lift off and you think, I put that weight there. I carried yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's silly. It is. And, and I'll tell you what. I remember when I did that for the first time, I got, I got a certain kind of validation. I was like, I felt this lightness. And I was like, okay, I, I, I put that weight on myself. And if I'm not conscious, I'll find another thing to pick up. Yes. Here. Right. Right. Yeah. Or it yeah. doesn't no, sell I, enough or it ha whatever the new thing is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and that is the thing to resist. And that is the lesson to learn, which yeah. I'm working on. <laughs> sure. Because then you suddenly say, well, I've published. How much did it sell? And then there you are. Now you're right back in the same thing, right? Ranking yourself. Yeah. And so, all right. Now, what does a mystery, a writer of 
Hey, you don't have a series. Like, cause this is not, unless you, are you going to continue? And cause these are all separate stories, characters separate, well, right? This is also like, I've done things in a weird way. So the foulest things came out in September and it's yeah. a dominion archives mystery and right. Seek for the dead is another dominion. Right. Right. Okay. Right. But, so they are, it is a series, but foulest things is set in 2010 speak for the dead is set today okay because i wrote foulest things way back six or something so um so doopy doop so those two are have different timelines they have different protagonists and entirely different casts like there's no there there are no there is no character from foulest things in speak for the dead because they were two separate books and then my publisher was like oh well we'll publish both of them within six months of each other and oh wait a second both of them have to do with a national archives in canada's capital (laughs) so maybe they should be a series and i was like sure but they don't and they were like no it's the setting it's the thing that so so they're the setting is is the is the connection that is not the way series are written no. <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing. well you just weren't you didn't look at because if, if you write a book in 2006 and no one buys it you don't think well i'm starting a series better write that no you just assume no. yeah, i don't have a series that's right i'll just write another book uh-huh. that's interesting now and now that you're the author of a series are you going to say that and and you've probably never done this with go back and try to write another one in like, all right, let me follow the same character or follow this. Are you going to try and do that? No, no, no. I've written a third one and it's with the publisher. Oh, you've so already done it. it. Oh, you've already done it. Okay. It's out next it's coming out in April, 2020. Oh, so are you a book? Do you think you could do the book a year that many genre writers do? You say you can't do that. You can't do it. No, I can't, I can't do that. I, I last year I worked for the Canadian federal government and they have a lovely leave policy where you can take an unpaid leave. So I took all of last year off. Wow. And they held my job for me, which was divine. Socialism. It's all socialism <laughs> up there. <laughs> okay. Head north, head north. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, it was unpaid, so. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. I, I, <laughs> that's fine. I'm back. So I had the year off. So I wrote a book with a with a year not working full time. I and, see. And now I'm back to work full time. Right. So I do not want to commit to writing a book while also working full time. But I, I don't know how people do that. Well, I'll tell you one way they do it is that's all they do. <laughs> they, well, they don't yeah. do it. They don't work yeah. full time. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think like Terry Brooks, the fantasy writer who wrote the Sword of Shannara series, he said. He didn't want to, he wasn't going to quit being a lawyer until he'd sold X number of books. And so he did it while being a lawyer. And I know Amy Tan worked, but you know, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to do it, obviously, because you, how many hours a day can you really, like two probably maybe a day. Yeah. But, but now here's the question though, Amy, when, if it does well enough and if you and your husband looked at your bank accounts and decided, all right, this is, would you, would you give up archiving just to write? Um, probably. Yeah, I probably would. If, yeah. But, you know, now, have to, okay. I have to, yeah. Uh, I can talk about why I used to, the way I earned a living, I really just had a day. I had no career. I never had a career. I just had a day job and it was waiting tables before I do what I do now. But I could talk about the, this, the things I learned that, that carry over into writing and certainly the things I look in a way that they're similar, even believe it or not to writing. It's, bit of a stretch but that's one of the things i can do is make anything sound like writing but how is archiving like writing um, it's the stories that's the thing that's, that's it. okay me. 
it's that there's, you know, there are these insane, fascinating stories that are buried in archives because it's hard to find, it's hard to, it's hard to get information out of an archives for a whole bunch of reasons. And so when you do find those stories, they're unique. They're yeah. not, they're not, nothing's published in an archive. So the only, the only place that story lives is in that archives. And, and because it's, because the archive is kind of the the records that you create while you're off living your life. It's the detritus. It's the right. You know, um, y- y- it's not a late. It's not a narrative that's laid out for you. You have to piece the story together, right? Ah, so I see. That is so. You're finding the story, just like yeah. Hey, you know what I like about that? You know what I like about that? Because I coach writers, and one of the things I try to when they're trying to frame the struggle, I can't find the, especially if they're fiction writers. I can't find it. I say, try to think about it like the story exists already. It's already, and you're just trying to find it. Because if you try to say, I'm going to make it up, you really probably are going to struggle. But if you just, because, because Amy, look, don't you have the experience when you're finding your story where you finally, the connection that has been missing, you see it and boing, and now you know why, and this, whatever the plot point, usually plot points you can't, don't you feel like, oh, of course. It's like you see something yeah. that already exists anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you go back and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't even yes, know. Yes, that's right. The person says that they like to eat croissants on page Exactly. Four, that's the vitally important thing on page 250. Okay, yeah. do you hear that, people? See, it's so funny because I tell I, my students, I say, whenever I talk to fiction, particularly fiction writers about this experience of when they finally discover something, it turns out the clues had been planted in their own story yeah. all it's so common yeah. it's one of the most mysterious and delightful aspects yes. of delightful. that that's a good word yeah and so all right so that's how it's like you're finding you're having to be you're like a little detective mm-hmm. a little detective and now you're writing about detectives you have you like to write yeah. about detectives. so do are, you are a, a read a fan of the mystery are you a mystery fan at all yeah 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 I, it's very satisfying you know it's that that um yeah, I, I like the sort of plot elements that then lead up and the little things that you didn't notice. I never notice. I never guess the mystery while I'm as oh, a reader. Oh, man. I, um, I sit there saying, I'm going to figure this out. It. I'm going to figure it out. So, <laughs> so I do know this. If I'm watching a series, I do know, oh, the first suspect. Well, it's not going to be them, obviously. Unless it's a twist. Unless it's a twist. So, you, you know, in Speak for the Dead, I you did something interesting, which I've always thought about and it's early in the book when you say it, but I've always thought about this, which is that, and of course it's somewhat almost meta because you're writing a mystery, but you have the, the, the protagonist say murder is not complicated. Most of the time, it's actually really boring and straightforward. It's usually crimes of passion or it's a drug related thing. And then in reality, there's never a mystery really, unless there's not like a mystery mystery, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to add that in. Yeah, because most of the time, because I, th- I had this fantasy of trying to write a murder series where it's like really realistic. I was just thinking about, I thought that would be so boring, probably, right? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess you could get you into pull it off. Yeah, you. Well, I don't know if I could, but you'd go deep on your characters, I guess, and, and you know all their right. Everything. And so the violence and crime, because most of the time it's pretty straightforward. And so, all right, so you had to write a new book number four, but it's book number three in this series that you just realized you have. And uh, so how was that starting something with the awareness? A, okay, so this is interesting, Amy. You started this book was different on two fronts. One, you said, I'm going to do it in this series. I'm now 
going to continue yeah. to sit, right? And I'm an author. You started this mm-hmm. as a published author. So how did that change? Because for the first time, come on, you sat down, you opened yeah. up, and instead of wondering, well, maybe this will be the one, right? Mm-hmm. Like you did, you must have on some level wondered with every one of those books, you didn't think that this time. So was that, how was that? Uh, it was wonderful and very daunting, right? Because yeah. I, I had a deadline. I've never worked on a deadline before. <laughs> when I was when I was just writing my stories. Nobody yeah. was waiting for them, so that kind of freaked me out. Um, uh, and and then the idea of writing within the confines of a series. So as I said, my series, I have now the same characters as in Speak for the Dead or in the new book. Um, right, right. And of course, the series is linked. It's the Dominion Archives mysteries, and this is where I feel like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do because this third book in the Dominion Archives mystery series does not take place at the Dominion Archives, and is in fact, I know. <laughs> Did your publisher say, "Ah, Amy, <laughs> we need to talk"? <laughs> they, I ran it by them. They said it was fine. So, oh, that's so funny. Okay. Yeah. So, I uh, like I, I um. I was lucky enough to have like a, a be in conversation with Louise Penny in the fall. And oh, she nice. was asking me about, uh, you know, the big mystery, the author and uh, three finds books. And she asked me, we were talking about this and she yelled at me. <laughs> she shouted, Amy, what are you doing? I said, no, I tried to set this, the third book in the series in Ottawa, in the Dominion archives, but I kept drifting way so finally i scrapped all the ottawa parts because that's not where the story wanted to take place so anyway hey you did a thing that the real author does you listen to the story (laughs) now you gotta do it i I couldn't write it any other way so so i was stressed and um so i I, so i enjoyed writing it it felt like a real writer i had this whole year off so my job that year was to, to write this book which was wonderful not well paying, but wonderful. Um, <laughs> and then what happened? I sent it all off. I use I have a critique group that I've had for twenty years who yeah. like are wonderful. Are they all jealous? And do they all hate you now? I don't think so. Okay, good, good. <laughs> um, and so I sent it off to them, and they came back with wonderful critiques that were like you know totally on point in June, and the book was due in October, and uh, and that and it wiped me out. Because I I had thought I had finished the book in June, and then they had very valid, excellent points, and I couldn't write for two months, and I was in a panic because oh. I had the deadline. So oh, I that never must have been that before. That must have been the worst two months of your life. I was quite cranky. Oh my god! <laughs> but you got but it. I got done. it. I got it done eventually. So wow. so it was it was wonderful to that thing of like writing the book with a deadline, with a you know knowing it was going to get published was fantastic. But it also it was a kind of a bit of a mind flip for me to yeah to see. I remember Andre Dubuse talking about an American novelist was talking about um, to me about. Oh, oh, he was like, you know, it's, you know, the thing is, on some level, you should enjoy before you get your first book published. Because once you get it published, he said, there's a whole dozen, like the lights are on you, kind of. You know, he'd been yeah, on Oprah yeah. and did all this stuff. And he's like, yeah. oh, you got to keep, I think it doesn't matter, you know, you don't want to disappoint your fans. Now there's mm-hmm. a contract. whatever. So there's a kind of bliss, although it's frustrating, but there is a kind of freedom yeah. of it, I think, that you have yeah. to mentally reclaim once you are doing it professionally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the end of the day, it doesn't you're professional now, but you, it, the process is exactly the same. You got to be just as amused, just as surprised, just as it can't change just because you've signed a contract for the thing before you finished it. Right. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, I see. The, the business side of it, I find interesting only insofar as how do I keep my head about me when I take this thing, which is art, which is really, I mean, it, you'd want to make money off of it, but it exists in a place beyond business in my mind. It does. Yeah. But we do need to get paid for our stuff and we deserve to, people. <laughs> and so, so, but it is interesting that it's a, that it's a, art form it's a business based on nothing in other words it's just these stories there's no yeah. there's no widget really <laughs> right yeah it's in your head and you've got to get it out yeah all right so how do you so i mean so what what are, what are you right now as a writer what's got your attention what's got your interest what's what do you care about right now author amy um, well, I think what I'd like to do is, um, you know, go deeper on my characters and, and, yeah. you know, be more truthful and, uh, yeah, get to more of the nut of real, what, you know, that thing of a real person and who they are and bring them to life more. That's. Do you have moments in the books you've written where you thought, I want more of that? Ooh, right there where I did that thing happen yeah. I wonder if I can get more of that is that do you have awareness yeah. of that yeah yeah for sure yeah and, but they're moments right like and yeah and I don't go back and reread and I and I no. <laughs> but you kind I, of hold it in your head right yeah oh, that yeah. passage I I certainly do that where I think oh if I could I'd like to replicate more and more of that in the, yeah. in the future you know I work with this guy it's interesting he's a stand-up comedian apparently very successful stand-up comedian and uh, Australia. That's where he does his stuff, but he's, I'm coaching him on how to write stuff. And he was talking about, he's been at it for a while. And he said, you know, people wouldn't understand. I was, he said, he was watching himself because they listened to their own mm -hmm. tapes, you know? And he said, I just heard this one part where I was relaxed. I just heard my voice and I wasn't pushing. He said, no one else. He said, I want more of that. It, people weren't laughing more, but I recognized that I want more of that. And it struck me that that's one of the things the artists yeah. do. You might, something in your work might so light up for you that your readers yeah. don't notice at all, but you know, that's pointing me in my direction. Right. Well, I wonder if it's the moment of that creating, right. Where, where they say, like they say it's the flow or whatever. Oh yes. Oh flow. It's, yeah. I, it's that. Cause I have certainly experienced that and it's addictive. And so maybe yep. those are the moments that are attractive to you in your own books are those moments. All right, here, I'm going to in that. I'm going into coach mode here. I'm going to encourage you to think of the flow this way. Cause I have, this is what I teach people. It's like how to get into that state of mind. Think of it as a state of mind. You can practice entering on purpose as opposed to having it happen accidentally. That's, that's what I would encourage. I would think all your best stuff happens in that flow state. Yeah. I just, and we all want it and it's addictive. And it's like, and what I always say to my students is like, I like being in it and I don't like being out of it. So I want to be in it as much as yeah. I can. And that's where I trust that's where I get inspired. That's probably where your characters do things you didn't yeah, expect. Yeah, right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I'm all for practice getting into it and, and believe that it's something you can do with practice as opposed to just the muse showed well, up. What's the was, practice, though? How do I do that? You Coach practice. Me. You have to get, <laughs> see, you get real. It's about curiosity. I think yeah. there's a lot of elements to it, but one of the keys is you understand your job is to discover. And therefore, you have to get co comfortable not knowing because in yeah. order to discover, you have to not know. And mm -hmm. you're an adult and used to knowing things, but no, you have to yeah. not know. So, in order, so it takes real trust and balance to be in constant state of discovery and relaxation mm -hmm. and receiving. And what you're, what for me, what I'm looking for is the thing that 
what I would say is when I write my essays, I'm like, I start off kind of knowing, but it's sort of mechanical a little bit at the start because I'm not, but I know I'm waiting for that one moment where a little happens and I go, oh, I didn't expect that. That's interesting. Now I'm surprised. Now I'm curious. Now I'm excited. And now I'm really writing. But I have to wait for that one little spark that I didn't expect. And now I'm really flowing and the ideas are coming to me and I'm kind of chasing them and I lose track of time and all that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I expect it. Like I'm not this, this, this essay isn't real until that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. That's right. You. I'm telling you, I'm right. But it's my next book. I'm writing about how to practice it. I just, I think it's so important for the creative mindset yeah. to like practice being in that state of mind. So there you go. I'll send you a copy when it's done. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amy, I love talking to you. I, I'm so, I, I'm, part of the reason I love talking to you is because you, 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 you stuck at it for so long and now it's now you've on to that next phase. And it's so great to be here with you at that early stage before you're bestriding the publishing world, like a Colossus and <laughs> you're always in demand, but um, okay. So first of all, people want your books. I assume they can go to your website, but they just, we're all fine books are sold kind of, or what's exactly. your, they should, they are everywhere and an independent bookseller will order you, it in if you don't have yeah. it and your library, yeah. ask your library to carry it. Wow. Wow. Library. What a nice person. I, I talked to, I remember being at a writer's conference once and there were these guys that are very successful. I said, libraries, ah, I guess. <laughs> well, I didn't but realize. They didn't buy the books. I mean, <laughs> But speaking of Socialist Canada, I didn't realize that the United States doesn't have public lending rights. We have public lending rights, so we the author gets a couple of pennies every time a book is taken. Their book is taken out. Ooh, in Canada. In I we I'm with a. I've got a new cause. <laughs> I need to talk to my <laughs> senator. <laughs> I've got a new cause. All right. Well, that's great. So wherever fine books are sold, but hey, listen. So I usually ask what writing has taught you, but I'm kind of. I think. I, but this is interesting because, you know, I, I'm going to phrase it slightly differently for you today. Okay. Because okay. I already asked you this question once, but it can change in a year. But because I think I learned a lot from the experience. If being a published author, hmm. now that it has taught you anything about yourself, life, anything, it's taught you what? Well, that there's no difference between being a published author and a, you know, it's just that validation. And just like what we were saying, you don't need that valid. You can just validate yourself. Just stamp your own parking ticket. (laughs) (laughs) She's right, people. She is right. I know you don't believe her if you're, if you haven't yet gotten that, but she's right. Boy, if you can stamp it for yourself. You know what else is true, Amy? If you can stamp it for yourself, and I know this is true for me, it would have expediated Mm-hmm. The, I think it would have brought the other faster. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Hey, Amy, great talking to you. Thanks for being on the show. This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much. Don't wait for the validation. Don't do it. Look, if you do, <laughs> well, you'll be like pretty much everybody. And so what are you going to do? It's all right. It's all right. But You don't have to wait for it. If you can give it to yourself, it just makes everything so much easier. Sure does. Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Till next time, validate yourself. You don't need it from somebody else. You don't. You don't. The best way to validate yourself is to find something you love to do and do it. (laughs) 